You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome back to another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Ian Campbell, who is the Executive Chair at Innovate UK and is also the Non-Executive Chairman at MedCity. We discuss taking risks in healthcare innovation funding and his lessons that he's learned as his time as a startup CEO and now moving into Innovate UK. We also discuss the importance of diversity in accelerating the next generation of entrepreneurs. So enjoy. Ian, please, will you introduce yourself and and tell the listeners where you came from, how you got into the digital health space, and um, just a bit about yourself and your background. Thank you very much, Mala, for the invitation to speak today. So, uh, as Mala says, I'm Dr Ian Campbell. Uh, I was born in East Ayrshire, uh, in a village called Stewarton, uh, and was the first of my family to go to and successfully come through university. I did a, a Glasgow reading biochemistry and I like Glasgow so much I stayed there and did a PhD looking at insulin resistance and diabetes. Uh, In doing that it became clear that um, my passion for science was not just in the fundamental research but also in the commercial exploitation of it Uh, and my career since then has been very serendipitous. I've been fortunate enough to work with many great people uh, starting off in the lab with Professor uh, Gwen Gould and moving on to Professor Janet Allen's lab, where I got involved with a company called BeerCore that measure how proteins bind together in real time. Realizing quickly that I wasn't going to be an academic scientist, this offered me the route into the commercial world, uh, where I started as an application scientist, uh, worked up to being a business development director, and ultimately uh, in my career, I became a CEO of startup diagnostic companies. And when I say startup, uh, I really mean startup, four or five people. And that encapsulated fundraising from private capital, generating data through the tests that we uh, developed, and then from there into getting tests onto the market and ultimately being sold. Uh, Although the one thing I would say as a startup CEO, I spent nine months raising money, two months congratulating myself that I'd raised money, and a month trying to prepare myself for the next nine months. Oh, Uh, no. (laughs) And that is why I ended up being in the role of Innovate UK. So I joined Innovate UK in uh, October of 16. Uh, And the reason why I joined Innovate was, I knew a little bit about fundraising, very keen on innovation and technology development, but also keen to try and see if we can have disruptive public funding to supplement private funding to allow businesses to grow and scale. So ultimately my role at Innovate is to create commercial success. When I was Director of Health and Life Sciences, I thought it would be easier to try and engage with the uh, fundraising and VC community much earlier if public funding was offered in the form of a grant to match it. So we ran what we called the Investment Accelerator at that time. Uh, And from that, uh, I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago to take the interim CEO or executive chair role with Innovate. And it's been a privilege and an honor not only to do health and life sciences type work, but also to engage into augmented reality, virtual reality, 
quantum technologies, satellite applications, uh, and a whole plethora of other market sectors that I know very little about, uh, but actually every day I learn how common the challenges are in getting new technologies developed to a point where it can be commercialized and help either patients or society, as well as driving economic growth. And my big passion is to allow the development of technologies to be uh, compliant with the regulations and aid, in this case, patient outcomes, but at the same time, hopefully create robust scaling businesses that will generate uh, GVA and increase GDP in R&D. Fantastic, fantastic. And thank you so much for telling a bit about yourself. And so, so um, for the listeners that don't know, you are currently moving out of your role at Innovate UK, is that right? I am. So I've been with Innovate for four years and I think innovation is something that happens for a period of time. Uh, and as with any role, you begin to outstay your welcome because you want to bring a freshness to the organisation. And I think four years at the forefront of technical innovations is probably a good life cycle. Uh, and so I'm delighted to be moving back into the health and life sciences field. Uh, and I'll be joining LifeArc as a chief business officer starting in December. But at the same time, I've also taken on a commitment to be the chair of MedCity. Uh, that's a, a London-based organization aimed at growing the health and life sciences sector through combining the work of the three research active hospitals and working alongside businesses to try and develop new solutions that will go into patient testing and hopefully bring economic prosperity to London. I mean, that is just, it's brilliant, isn't it? When you put it all together like that, the, I suppose the career journey sounds so like planned, but maybe it wasn't that planned at the start of it. I'd love to ask you, and I think a lot of our listeners have the, have the same questions, is how, do you, how did you find moving from a startup CEO to running a big dare I say clunky um, organization um, of Innovate UK and so I mean how was that transition for you? So I, I can actually remember my first day at Innovate I was at a staff conference mm -hmm. uh, with uh, I think 350 people at it uh, and I pointed down at the tables nearest me and said a week ago I was running a company where we would all fit around that table and so on the one hand it is quite disconcerting to see such a large volume of people. But I think intrinsically, we're all uh, wired to work with people. Uh, and I think if you treat everybody with courtesy and respect, they will respect you for it. If you try and be transparent, you paint a vision. Uh, and also, most importantly, I would never ask somebody to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And that's always stood me in good stead. And so therefore, running Innovate, you know, I can't know all about all the technologies. I couldn't even know about all the technologies in health and life sciences. So we employ great people. If we empower them, work with them, uh, and realize their potential, then ultimately success will breed success. So very much try to make sure that we narrow things down to the individual level uh, and work to build strong, high-performing teams. And I also believe that you spend too long at your work to be miserable. So if we can have an enjoyable time while we're doing it, then everybody will benefit. And did you, what did you enjoy more? The startup world or, and running your own, your own business in that sense or, or leading the development of loads of businesses? No, I, th I think they're intrinsically uncomparable. I think when you're in a startup 
you know, your main focus is driving technical innovation and trying to get to, to fundraising. So as I mentioned earlier, I used to spend nine months of the year trying to raise money, two months of the year congratulate myself that I'd raised money, uh, and a month preparing for the next nine months. And that was the cycle. But that was actually the driver to get involved with Innovate because I thought if we can bring private funding into the cycle much earlier alongside public funding, you give the CEO the reassurance that there is a cornerstone investor for the long term. You give the opportunity to the private world to come in much earlier and Innovate can uh, undertake some of that technical due diligence to allow confidence in the investments that are being made. And I think that the combination of all those three things led me to think that when I go into Innovate UK, I could make a difference. And that's something that I've tried to do through the past four years. And, and tell me, what is, oh, you spoke earlier about um, that, you're, that you're really committed to, to helping companies uh, be commercially viable and pushing them at the point of being commercial. What is that point of being commercial? How do you know? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to this that are starting their own businesses or are innovating in the UK and, and everyone's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the million dollar question, isn't it? Is how do you make something that is, as you say, intrinsically for society and for the bettering of healthcare how do you make it commercially viable and how do you how can you tell these companies are commercially viable so well i think there's a couple of key stages in the process the first is the role that seed funders and innovate uk play and that is to take something that's fundamentally a an idea high risk potential to be disruptive and game changing but needs some support to allow the organization to undertake that risk that they otherwise couldn't do. So that's clearly Innovate's role. Uh, and once we funded that, if the technology develops across the cycle, that then enables private investment to take over. And at the point when private investment is taken over, that means it's getting nearer to the market. So the role for a public funder there is less important. So I, I tend to see us as charged with using public money to secure high risk investments and some of them will fly and hopefully reach the markets and do great things and others may not quite make it but even for the ones that don't make it you're investing in the people the talent and so that the next time they come up with an idea they'll know in, uh, intrinsically what they should do and they'll have learned from the things that they shouldn't do so that we can create an entrepreneurial flair and a culture of risk taking that hopefully will develop across the sector and result in even better solutions coming to the market. So you say it doesn't really matter if it, I mean, it does matter in a certain way, but it doesn't really matter if it succeeds or if it doesn't succeed. It's that process. And you, and you mentioned it earlier with your employees at Innovate, you said that you were empowering great people to kind of run the business under you and, and to be able to support the innovations that were around you. Have you got any kind of, tips or like ways that you manage the teams to be able to drive that empowerment? Goodness, uh, uh, probably best ask them than ask me. So <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 I, what I tend to do is uh, ask the awkward questions to make everybody think is this the right thing to do? Uh, but then once we've made a decision, let the team try it. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that as an innovation agency, we should be taking risks. And we should be taking risks to try new things to help companies and technologies succeed and, and benefit both the economy and also society. My big fear 
is that we fund incremental R&D. And while that's worthwhile, that's not disruptive innovation. What, so does, that mean? what does that well, mean? A, a disruptive innovation is something that is truly transforming. So the iPhone uh, being a classic example in this day and age is disruptive innovation. Whereas we could have ha made uh, you know, a, an improvement to the cell phone itself, but not put music on it or not put apps on it, then that would have been incremental R&D. So trying to have something that's truly disruptive at the heart of what you're uh, funding. And my big worry there is in order to fund disruptive innovation, you have to take higher risks and we have to have a risk appetite that allows us to do that. And I think sometimes we can be a bit conservative. So my aspiration would be for boldness and trying to place big bets on things that may truly change the way that we live our lives, impact society and create a resurgent innovation economy. Which is the dream, isn't it? I mean, that is, that would be, if we ran society like that, right? We find good ideas, we invest in it, we grow it. That would be the best way to mobilize the economy in every sense of it. I suppose there's so many different barriers to it. And one of them that we're, that we're really interested in um, is looking at the diversity of the founders that are coming through the space. And I know that that is something that you're really passionate about as well. To, um, to try and increase the diversity in, in, in the companies that you found. I'd, I'd love if you, could, um, if you could tell us a bit more about um, kind of the growth of the sector um, in, in the diversity sense, but also initiatives that you've seen that actually work to, to, to help with this problem. So, so if we go back to empirical research, the, there's two things that spring to mind. Collaboration, and that means two or more brains coming together to look at the same problem, does tend to yield more impactful results. Secondly, nobody has a moratorium on a good idea. So good ideas can come from anywhere, and they don't need to come from an academic base. They can come from an individual. They can come from a group think. They can come from school children. So at Innovate, we've been quite clear that we wanted to increase the diversity in our application pool. Uh, so we did some research between 2016 and 2018 that suggested that only 12% of applicants into Innovate UK were female. 12% that apply? 12% apply. Wow. Uh, and so we thought this, there's, there are barriers here that we're not aware of that are causing problems. So we looked into the research and found that, you know, could we create mentoring groups to help support female entrepreneurs? Could we look at a, a, a program where we could build a collective cohort of female leaders that would work together? Can we place them in an environment where they will thrive? So that, that was the basis for what the program that we'll call Women in Innovation. We now have a cohort of roughly 200 female entrepreneurs that have been successful through that program. Now, uh, the net change is that in the last data we looked at, 26% of applicants are female-led. So wow. we've more, more than doubled the percentage of female applicants coming through, which is great, but we're tw still 24% short of being parity. And so we need to continue to work to drive that. And so our focus very much is on the EDNI, but also the other program that I'm immensely proud of is our Young Innovators program. So that's specifically targeting 18 to 24 year olds. And we thought, how do we target youngsters? Because they don't tend to visit innovateuk.gov.uk on a regular basis. <laughs> 
I, I didn't realize that that <laughs> so, so we partnered with the princess trust uh, and we ran a hashtag ideas mean business campaign and instead of launching it in a hotel or in a a conference we set up pop-up coffee shops throughout the uk because we also know that the cafe culture tends to bring in youngsters and so i'm delighted uh, of one example is a guy called tom root who had an idea to put in a filter into a washing machine to capture microplastics. So when Tom applied, he had his idea, a bit of workspace in his dad's garage, and a concept that potentially could be transformative in terms of uh, contaminating the water supply. If we fast forward two years, Tom's got his own facility. He has employees. He's raised, I think, just shy of a million pounds in funding. And he is looking to get contracts with white goods consumer manufacturers. So therefore, having a coffee and talking about young innovation has led him to build a business. That is truly disruptive. And so we need to remind ourselves always, good ideas can come from anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of lost for words there because that is such a lovely and empowering, as we keep saying, initiative that you that you did and, and going to the places where the innovators are, instead of waiting for them to come to you. I think that in itself speaks volumes for the type of organization that you're working in and that you're running that, you know, you don't expect, well, if you want my money, you come to me, you know, the traditional investment sense, come and tell me why you, sh you should have my money. But instead in the UK, what we're doing is we're going out to people, we're finding the ideas and we're saying we will stand by you and let's give it a go. I mean, is there anything more powerful than that? I don't know. Well, well, we can actually extend the scale of that because when COVID struck uh, and we had our, our fast start call, we had 8,600 applications and we funded over 960 businesses in less than six weeks. We wow. paid the money in advance and we're able to allow them to continue to innovate. So we've seen uh, innovations in digital health, but also in more uh, rural environments. So how to optimize the picking of blueberries is, is one uh, farm that I visited to show that they had a collection device that could increase the efficiency by 50%. We still need to eat during COVID. Harvesting the fruit was going to be an issue. They had an innovative solution. So you can see all these range of technologies. And I'd like to highlight in digital health, a company called Acurix, who have a platform to improve the way in which GPs can consult online. So during COVID, their platform was adopted, I think, by 96% of GP practices. They're doing over 2 million consultations. They extended the platform to allow patients to take photographs themselves and upload them onto the app so the GPs could see them. They've evolved their video conferencing, their data management, the access to patient records, all to allow us to operate in what is a really uncertain time. And so being able to support digital health coming to reality really is something that has transformed the ability for some people to maintain good health going forward. But also a company like Big Health, whose focus is on mental health, and their sleep app has been downloaded something like 15,000 times. Those that have it, 55% have said their insomnia has been reduced. 74% feel better and have reduced depression. So you, you can see that by 
employing innovation and getting the adoption of that innovation, it really is making a difference to either the way people work in the form of the GPs or in terms of how patients and sufferers can actually improve the quality of the life. And that's what gives me a great satisfaction in this role is that you can pick some very good businesses that are going to be impactful in life. Brilliant. And we actually had Charlotte from Big Health on the podcast uh, recently, who I think every, every listener that had uh, sent in feedback after it said exactly the same thing. How, how is it that we can get such good results from technology and these opportunities just weren't here a few years ago? It's just amazing how, how much it's progressed. Let's take it forward. Let's, let's think about the future. What it, what is Ian Campbell excited about in the digital healthcare space? What is it that you're keeping your eye on in the future of healthcare innovation? Well, so one of the real reasons why I've, uh, I've chosen to join LifeArc is exactly that. It's, it's not going to be just about developing new therapeutics. It's not going to be about generating new diagnostic technologies, both of which we need. It's really transforming it around that digital and data space. Uh, and for me, you know, we capture so much data. Uh, and the analogy I use is it's not by chance that you get a, a flyer from Tesco coming through recommending three things that you bought recently for a discount. You know, we capture digital across society. It's how we use it. I don't think we need more data. We need to use it better. And I think uh, for me, the excitement in healthcare is ensuring that the right diagnosis and the right therapies are aligned with the right decision-making criteria and all that revolves around how we improve our use of clinical data and how that will reflect itself into how we behave. And where I would like to see a big expansion is an understanding on human behavior and decision-making driven by data. And we all know that we need to be fitter. We all know that we should eat more vegetables and eat more fruit and eat less chocolate. Uh, but yet the propensity is there for us to make these decisions that allow us to get comfort from those foods. So clearly we need to look at why we're making those choices because ultimately to improve everybody's healthcare and benefit, it would be great to understand that decision-making process and hopefully be able to reconcile our choices and our behavior. I think there's a massive expansion, not in health and not in care, but in well-being and empowering individuals to look after themselves through informed choices and informed decision-making. I think throughout this whole recording, we have really touched on one word, which is empower. And that has been in every sense, your employees, the businesses you work with and the patients that you're ultimately helping. And I think what a lovely way to end it is, um, is ending it on empowering the patients themselves. So thank you so much for your time, Ian. It was really, really lovely to talk with you. And uh, I hope we get to talk uh, again soon. Mala, thank you very much for the invitation. I really think this is a great uh, forum for us to have these discussions. I'm slightly embarrassed to talk about myself, but quite uh, pleased that uh, there's so many things in common with so many out there. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Ian Campbell or any of the work that we're up to at the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council, then please go onto the Royal Society of Medicine's website and you can find more about the upcoming events and webinars that we have occurring. We'd love to see you there. 
Thanks so much.